trail and ultra runners. What is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coop Cast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop. And this episode of the podcast might be a little bit of a gut punch for you, the listeners out there. And that is because it is all about failure and how we can process failure and how we can move forward with it. The genesis of this podcast is all based around interactions that I have had with you out there in the community. You guys have contacted me through my website and on social media. And over the course of the last several weeks, very specifically, I've had this question pop up time and time again, and that is, how do I deal with a failure of a season? Well, unbeknownst to me, one of our CTS coaches, Neil Palace, who's our guest today, was working on an article about that very subject based on some failures that he has had at the Leadville Trail 100 and during Leadman itself. And so what I wanted to do over the course of this podcast is to add some color commentary to that particular article that he wrote, which is on his website. There'll be a link in the show notes to that, the title of which is The Freedom to Fail. We wanted to peel back the curtain a little bit and really dig into the details about some skills and some techniques that you can use to armor yourself for the season going forward so that when you do happen to have these failure points, you can process them in a much much more effective fashion, as well as if you're struggling with this right now, something that you can do to reconcile those feelings right now so that you can move forward and begin the training process. I've always appreciated Neil's counsel and his commentary in this area. He has a wonderful way with words as you guys are about to find out throughout the course of this podcast. All right, folks, with that out of the way, I am getting right out of the way. Here's my conversation with CTS coach Neil Palace, all about failure and how to move forward from it. A lot of athletes are looking at that right now. I mean, just like, oh God, the season sucked. <laughs> well, that was that, that, that. Let's get right into it. Then you go. You okay with that? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I personally go. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, well, on to the next. <laughs> well, I, so I, I think like it's re- it was like your post, um, which I would have already re- kind of referred to in the intro. It was really timely because honestly, I maybe had a dozen people reach out to me all through different venues, social media and through my website and just friends of friends. And they were all asking the same kind of question. I had a really bad season for whatever reason. I got injured. I didn't accomplish my goals. I DNF'd in my you know goal races, all those kind of things. And how do I deal with it? Right? How do I manage this, what they were referring to or, or how they were verbalizing? as a as a failed season and yeah. literally at the exact same time within you know six hours of all of this transpiring these dozen people kind of contacting me you came out with this article so obviously I, I take that as a little bit of a temperature check across the community where a lot of people are you know they're sizing up their season and it's a realistic you know outcome to not achieve your goals that that you that you set out to that that you set out to accomplish and to frame that as a failed year, right? Which is the kind of the, the, the vocabulary that the people were using that were kind of like contacting yeah. me. And so this all kind of came together. So I'm like, okay, I gotta get Neil on the horn because if this is my exposure to it, I guarantee you that the the podcast community that listens to this podcast, there's probably a hundred times more people 
that are experiencing the exact same thing. And then when you spider that network out even more, there's kind of more people. So it becomes pertinent right now. But I want to hear from your perspective first, what gate, what was like driving you to write that content? Because this is something that exists on your website. Obviously you were stimulated to, yeah. to put the content together some, uh, somehow. So, t- so take us through that before we get into it. Well, I think, you know, you had a weekend where you had these lotteries, big lotteries go on, and then you had some lotteries open up. And so there's this sense of renewal, what's next, you know, and that brings us to conclusion, you know, kind of in my book is, okay, that, you know, last year was last year, let's, what's next, you know, let's keep going. Let's keep driving this forward. And I think for a lot of people, you jump into those lotteries and like, ah, oh, you know, or or you couldn't get into those lotteries. You know, I didn't get into Western States, the Western States lottery this year because I didn't have a finish. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, okay, you know, what's driving that? And so you have these, all this stuff coming up and it's like, what's next? And I, I think a lot of folks can get hooked on, I didn't finish, I didn't have the success the outcome that I wanted and that drives your sense, you know, it could drive your emotions for months for some people. I think, you know, there's ways to address that almost immediately and even preventatively beforehand, you know, as you look towards your season next year. So, but what drove it for me was, you're signing up for lead challenge again, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like, and, and just diving into it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot again for my sixth time, wow. you know, and just keep going, you know, we'll see what I learned from last year. You know, what is it about, I'm going to kind of keep using the world word failure, but if you want to reframe it into your vocabulary, please do. But what is it about failure that is so powerful? I mean, you just mentioned something that was really was really poignant, is that a lot of times this mentality or this framework can kind of last for months, right? You go through an entire yeah. year and then you get to the end of it and then all of a sudden February is rolling around and you're still thinking about the missed opportunities or whatever you quote unquote failed at for that period of time. And the opposite is is not sometimes, but not always true, right? Where you get to the finish line and, you know, you get your shiny big belt buckle and then next week you got to go back to work and you're a normal person again. What is it about failing at a task that kind of makes it so, so powerful and so pervasive over like long periods of time to where we kind of dwell on it more? Well, you know, I think a lot of it is your relationship to failure, you know, at the get-go. Now, failure, you know, the experience of failure is a normal human experience. And if we looked, you know, we were to talk evolutionary, you know, you know, I don't want to offend anyone who doesn't believe in that, but if we look evolutionary, failure is designed for us to learn. You know, okay. It's like, hey, I don't want to get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger that's hanging outside of the cave or you know, whatever. You know, so we get that pit in our stomach. So it drives us to get better next time. And, but it also can lead us to this sense of hopelessness and helplessness. The other aspect of that is how we believe other people view us. 
And if we get this, live in this world where, hey, I have to have these accomplishments, I have to have these belt buckles, I have to have this pickaxe from Leadman, you know, and I have to show all my clients on social media, look what you know Neil did, he's an accomplished coach and he's an accomplished therapist and mental performance uh, coach. If I'm living like that, I'm not going to get anywhere. It's just going to keep driving me crazy. And so, but we, we also, I mean, that evolutionarily, we want to fit in. And that's one of the drivers there. But if we can step out of that and, and go, okay, what did I learn? How can I grow from this experience? Yeah, it, it okay, it sucks. Excuse my language. <laughs> it sucks. You know, I mean, I got to the fit, you know, I got to Twin Lakes. And, you know, like, oh, Coop's there, all the coaches are there, my wife's there, all my crew's there. I'm like, here we go again, you know? And it's like, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? There's always next year or the following year or whenever, and I can keep trying at this. So, yeah, I think, you know, we get hooked on it as uh, part of our identity, part of our self-worth. And if we're making that outcome part of that, of who we are. And some, for some of us, it's strong part of our identities of, Hey, I need to, you know, I'm a professional athlete, you know, and I think it's really important to, you know, keep striving. But if you let it knock you down like that, it's going to be hard to get back up. You know, you mentioned that one of the reasons it's so powerful, uh, kind of two pieces, one, the evolutionary piece, which I don't want to fix on, fixate on too much. But the second piece is this comparison piece that kind of amplifies the failure because if you're just looking at it in isolation, it's one thing, but if you're looking at it and comparing it to the opposite side of the spectrum, which is a big win, which is what a lot of people do, right? Especially at the elite, you know, at the elite level, like, yeah, I was 11th at Western States. I didn't get, you know, my automatic 10 and then the first place was here. And then that gap in comparison is actually kind of, kind of quite big or you DNF and you look at the people that finished. Those are two very polarizing opposite ends of the spectrum. When, right. when athletes recognize that, like, hey, I'm comparing myself to this. That's not a fair comparison. What's the pathway out of that to just to kind of learn from it or to diffuse this pervasive sense of failure? I, you know, I like how you, you use the word diffuse. You know, I, I love, you know, first of all, is rec- you know, A is that self-knowledge, or, you know, self-awareness is going to be is so key and noticing when you are not just hooked on the comparisons, but the language that's associated with it. I should, I must. These imperatives that you create, these rules that you create in those are pushing you around, you know? And if you're no able to notice, oh, hey, look how my mind is pushing me around here. I, you know, I'm going to start diffusing from that a little bit. All right, what's going to be more helpful? Well, let's go back to our values. You know, maybe my values are working hard, you know, courage, adventure. Let's go back to that and helping to identify who we are in that aspect. But you've got to diffuse from it first. You've got to have that self-awareness and and put a name to it. What's going on there? I'm getting hooked on these comparisons or more in depth is the rules that you're creating around those comparisons. I must, you know, I need, you know, yeah, if you have a bad day at Western States and yeah, you've got your sponsored athlete, you know, there, there's that, you know, that challenge there. But at the same time, if you take a step back, also, you know, hey, this is what's going on. 
let's go back to this and start, you know, what did I learn from this? What do I gain from this? You're starting to separate from those rules a little bit. Yeah. You know, identify them, notice them, you know, hey, that's what's going on. Yeah. We kind of jumped into the middle a little bit and started okay, talking sorry. about, no, it's totally fine. Like, once again, these things have such little, such little framework that I put into them every once in a while. But I want to kind of, I want you to put your sports psychologist and therapist hat on a little bit, right? Because you serve all these different roles, coach, therapist, you know, sports psych, mental coach, however you want to describe it. Yeah. And I want to use a little bit of the latter kind of throughout this next question, but also combined with your athletic background. So if you had an athlete that came to you and said, I just had a failure of a season, I'm having a hard time getting over it, which is the position that a lot of these athletes that were contacting me are in right now. How would you, like just you working in, putting on your practitioner hat, how would you initially start working with them to diagnose what's going on and then help them move forward? There's a lot of pieces of that, but I want to know what that means to them, what that failure means to them. Where is it hitting them? You know, you know, how is that hitting them? How is that, you know, impacting them on a day-to-day basis? You know, are you not getting up in the morning now? So I'm looking at it. So I'm kind of, I've got a couple different hats on I'm putting on here, you know, and this yeah, is yeah. my problem is, is that I've got three different lenses <laughs> that I start looking thing, at things through. But as, as far as even a coach is like, what does this mean to you? What does the failure mean to you? Let's go back. It was, what was the goal? What were the outcomes that you were seeking? And what were the other p- goals that you were working with there? What were the standards that you were holding yourself to that day? How were you, what were your process goals? So we're breaking this down a little bit to go, wait a second. Okay. All right. Let's see if we, you know, and I'm going to, you know, jumping around in your itinerary for a little bit, but how do we reframe this? How do we look at this a little differently and start putting on that growth mindset hat? You know, how can we look at this not as this is fixed? that I am, I'm a failure. So let's go back to, you know, my experience. I didn't have success at Leadville. That doesn't mean I'm a failure at this race. What it means is I didn't have success on whatever, August 20th. And then you know, on the cycling portion, I didn't have success that day. Okay. What are the pieces of that? Why didn't I have success? Well, you know, there may have been some training errors. It was really hot that day. Uh, there's all these other little pieces of that I can learn from. Okay, now I get that. What's the next step is taking that challenge to the next level. Take this as a challenge instead of a threat. Take this as a learning experience instead of this is fixed. This is who I am. I'm a failure. You know, this is... So we're kind of moving away from that. Does that make sense? It's So the phrase that I'm reminded of is win or learn. And I really like that, right? You either win or whatever your version of win is, right? You don't have to actually win the race outright or whatever. Whatever your version of win is, you're either doing that or you're learning, right? One one of those two, because you can, and sometimes it's both. Sometimes you can win and learn. (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. But if for whatever reason you fail at a race, you don't accomplish your goals, your DNF, kind of whatever negative piece of a framework we want to use, the, my approach on that is, is what can we learn? about this to get better the next time and then put that into place because there's always something there's absolutely 
a reason or reasons more more often than not. In fact, almost always reasons plural of <laughs> this underperformance, this failure, this DNF, kind of whatever it is that you can take away, and you're in control of it. Like you can actually fix those going forward. Very few of those are not amendable by the individual, right? Right. You know, right. You, you somebody vandalizes the course and you get off course. Sure, you can't prevent that, but you can totally. prevent how you react to it. So there's certain exactly. parts. Exactly. Yeah, so there's like, certain parts where you can learn from and certain parts where you just got to chalk it up to just the cosmos, you know, like going against you or whatever. And I've actually had that with athletes before. I, I, I remember an athlete at a Leadville who was a front runner and he got turned around and that was the end of his day. You know, and how, why not just get back on course? You know, that's what it's all about. You know, I, I didn't get my gels at Twin Lakes, what, you know, outbound. And it's like, ah, uh, you know, and I, okay, I'm going to adapt here. I'm going to use the dried up rice cake I've got in my pocket and a piece of potato <laughs> and, and a little bit of water. And, you know, it was a summer fest going up that hill, <laughs> you know? And uh, I was like, ah, could I have gone back? Yeah. You know, did I have, where my errors? I had some, you know, little errors add up, you know, and, and accept that. And it's how you're accepting of that. You know, the, the other piece that I want to bring out about failure is, at, you know, looking at how, you know, you know, we think other people view us. And, you know, I could have in the back of my mind, oh my God, you know, yeah, the head coach Coop is down here. All these coaches are looking at me horribly. You know, I just <laughs> suck at this. Oh, you know, he's a bad coach. He can't even finish this. Right. I could look at it like that or, ah, Neil, you just had a bad day. You know, Coop was at the bottom, you know, at Twin Lakes. I saw him there and it, 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 do you think any different of me? Because I didn't finish. No, not one single not, bit. Not, a, not but, one single bit. Exactly. But I will say in like all honesty, there's a little bit from a coaching perspective, because I've been at races where athletes do great, athletes do really poorly, and everything in between, right? All, right. all, across, all, all across the spectrum. I'm disappointed as well. And I'm disappointed in me. There's something that I should have done oh, totally. in advance of this to prevent whatever kind of happened. So I'm always, you know, people who work with me both in a professional capacity and also in a coach-athlete capacity will, will recognize that I'm a pretty straight, straight shooter. I'm very compassionate, but I'm also a very straight shooter. I don't sugarcoat a lot of things. And I do believe just in in kind of like real time when those things happen, that's that slider that I have to use as a, yeah. as a coach has to go more towards yeah. the compassion side initially and then towards the straight shooter side, once, you know, the 24 hours of fog kind of wears off. We're going to dig into this yeah. and, and, and look at, you know, what I could have done differently. I mean, I look at that as athletes all the time is what could I do differently? And now let's figure out, you know, oh, well, let's look back at this training here. You had this huge block and you had all these life stressors, all this other stuff going on. You missed it, you know, a lot of, you know, weeks, you know, what's going on? Yeah. Okay, let's, how do we develop from there? Yeah. Let, let me give, I want to give athletes kind of a, like a personal story of how, how coaches should and how I actually have viewed this and actually turned it into an advantage. So in February of this year, I had a kind of a relatively new athlete that a lot of people will recognize because he's had a lot of, he's had a lot of success to do Transgrand Canary. His name is Jai Shen from China. 
And he and I started working together in maybe October, November of last year. And the first race that he had on the docket was Transgrand Canary, which is in February. And as a little bit more of a background to it, he does not speak any English and he always has his wife translate for him whenever we get on calls. We get on calls every week, just like with the rest of my athletes. And that language barrier, is, it's a very real point of consideration. And so I decided to fly out to Transgrand Canaria just to meet him and his wife and sit down and start to create more of a personal report. I had no other athletes in the race. And that's a big lift, right? That's a week out of pocket for me. I absorb all of that expense yeah. and I'm more than happy to, to do that. I think that's kind of my charge as a coach with working with elite athletes is to try to do anything I can to help catalyze their performance. Well, anyway, long story short, he ends up dropping out of that race. And which is an even bigger deal culturally for a Chinese athlete because they take so much pride in, in, mm -hmm. in, in their performance. And so now you have this constellation of a lot of different things. You have a new coach-athlete relationship. You have a coach who literally is going to the ends of the earth to go and just meet this athlete and see them at the race. Like I said, it's my only athlete there. I have no other business being there other than to meet yeah. this person. You have this cultural element of there's simultaneously a language barrier combined with this kind of enhanced view of we should do whatever we can to, you know, perform at our best. And it kind of ultimately results in failure. And I, I remember when the whole thing transpired and he decided to drop out and his wife was communicating to me what was going on. And the first thing that I wanted to do is to let him know that I still have all of the faith that I had in him as an athlete 24 hours previous to that. None of yeah. that has had, had absolutely changed. And I wanted to over communicate that from the onset in order to kind of accomplish this overall goal that I had by going out there of kind of improving our, our coach athlete rapport because of all of the, because of all of these hurdles. And it ended up being a, kind of a little bit of a blessing in disguise because, sure. you know, now he had somebody who had seen him in the dumps, right? Who had seen him. I think he's only dropped out of one other race and he's a really prolific racer. If you guys go and look at his UTMB index, you will see races at, like everywhere. So they race a lot in China and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that was only his second DNF. So anyway, so now you've got this situation, which could have been a negative, right? All of this effort and things like that, athlete kind of like drops out that I deliberately turned into a positive by saying, listen, I got your back. Nothing has changed in the last 24 hours. In fact, we're going to learn how to, Love it. we're going to learn how to make this better. And the outcome of that was a really positive one, right? For the rest of the season, he was going gangbusters. He was fourth at Western States. He was second at CCC at a great, you know, great kind of like latter half of the year and our coach athlete relationship even in spite of all of the communication barriers and things like that is, is very good. And one of the yeah. catalysts for that was this, was this storyline of he goes to a race, he fails. I was kind of like there for him to pick him up and say, listen, nothing's different, man. We're going to still right. figure this whole thing out. So powerful. It's so powerful. I mean, just that rapport that you have, you know, that relationship that you have just totally enabled that, you know, you think the difference between transactional relationships and transformational yeah. relationships, and that's transformational yeah. there. It's like, hey, that's okay. I got your back. Let's focus on and figure out what's up and work on what's next. Yeah, ex exactly. So anyway, I mean, I want 
I wanted to tell that story for a lot of the athletes that are out there that have coaches that are afraid of part of, or that are, they're amplifying this failure component when they are working with a coach because they think that they've let their coach down. And my message to them is if you have a, if you have a relational coach as opposed to a transactional coach, it's actually quite the opposite. We will utilize this to catalyze everything being better. The coach athlete relationship, the athletic component of it, like the whole, like, like the whole nine yards. So yeah, we're disappointed, you know, and our heart melts as well. And our pride melts as well, because we want to see athletes succeed. That absolutely hurts. But we, if we have a skilled coach behind the wheel, so to speak, they're normally able to take those and turn them into more positive outcomes than they would have been, than they would have been otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That transformation, it's just so the transformational coach is so powerful. So yeah. we spent a little bit of time talking about, okay, people are in this position in the first place yeah, because they've gone through some point of failure and they're, and because of some aspect of their psyche, that failure is kind of like on amplification, right? They're taking three months to get over things when it should take, you know, a few hours or a few days or something like that. And it's uh, weighing on them kind of like unnecessarily, I guess is the way that I can put it. You put together almost like a bullet point toolkit to some, for something that athletes can do almost to either stay out of it or I'm going to use the word diffuse again. Diffuse it almost from the onset, which I think is even more powerful, right? If you have right. this mindset going into it, then you're able to take things with the right context. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes to this article that's on your website because I think it's really succinct, Neil. But why don't you take the listeners through this so that they can start working on it now, right? So that whenever this happens again and it's inevitable, you just went through your whole storyline. Everybody's been an athlete for long enough has has had their fair share of failures. And yeah. so we're, we're going to deal with it at some point or another. But why don't you take the, the listeners through this toolkit, so to speak, so that they can kind of armor themselves a little bit? Sure. So, I mean, you know, I start out by, you know, saying, yeah, I mean, at the get go right now, you know, start cultivating this growth mindset, you know, this idea that, you know, things aren't fixed necessarily, you know, this is, I could grow here, even though I am 55 years old, I'm going to be 56 next year. I could still keep growing. Now I might not have a great 5k time, you know, I might not get 15 minutes in the 5K, but I could still get better where I am right now. So I could still continuously get better. I can continuously learn. Okay. The other piece of this, and these are all things start now. Don't wait till after race day. This, you know, and we we talked about this when we talked about my mental skills course. It's like, you got to do this stuff now. You know, (laughs) start building a toolkit of self-compassion. <laughs> That's my whole thing with training. Start now. All the lottery now. just happened. You, you know, know your races I, are like, start now. Don't start in February. I, Don't start after I, Christmas. Don't start after New Year's. Start now. I will continue. So I'll work with athletes on the mental performance perspective. You know, you're coming to me a week or two before your race, but I'm going to tell you right now, there, I can give you some tools and we might get so far, but your best bet is starting right now after the race, not waiting until 
you know, a week or two or a month before. Let's start working right now. And so this is why I'm actually starting that course again in January. Oh, cool. And opening it up for endurance athletes. But okay, for all endurance athletes, not just ultra runners, because I think everyone can benefit from it. Anyways, self-compassion. Next piece of this. So there's a couple pieces of self-compassion. Is One is bringing that kindness to yourself. And oh, I know there's athletes squirming right now. Are you squirming? <laughs> Your self-compassion, what do you mean? It's, you got to have that kindness. Because if you... You, what's going to what's gonna win? The carrot or the stick? In training a donkey, what's going to win? The carrot or the stick? Ultimately, the carrot is going to motivate more. If you're continuously beating yourself up, you know, I really suck at this. I'm no good at this. this that's not going to help you. But if you bring in the self-kindness, you're going to be able to get back and say, hey, you know what? I, I fell. You know, what are you going to do? A little kid falls, trips in front of you, a little, you know, toddler. Are, are you going to, you know, oh, you don't know how to walk. You know, no, help them up. You know, hey, it's okay. Just brush off, brush it off. Let's bring that kindness in. The other pieces of self-compassion, mindfulness, being present. You know, it's, hey, I'm, I'm right here, right now. Not over there, not in the past, not in the future, but I'm right here, right now. The other, the, the third piece is the common humanity in self-compassion. It's like, you know what? 40% of the people at Leadville this year did not, oh no, no, it was more than that. It was 60%, half. 60%, yeah. 60% yeah, yeah, yeah. Finish, did, finish, did not finish. And, you know, I look at Lead Challenge, there was only one guy my age and over that finished, huh. okay, yeah. the entire Lead Challenge. Okay, there's this commonality. There's other guys who started, you know, you know, a, a lot of folks started, but they didn't necessarily finish. Okay, there, there's this common humanity there. That's where that self-compassion comes in. Then, you know, then I say diffusion from the story. Before, oh, hey, n- yeah. Yeah, before we get into the diffusion for the stories, I want to stay on the self-compassion piece for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want to make a distinction between being compassionate either to a, a, somebody that you're advising, that you're helping yeah. out to yourself, right? That type of compassion versus I'm going to use, this is a term that one of my for, former colleagues who was really influential on my career, I can give him credits for, uh, from JT Kearney, being dissociatively enthusiastic. So being enthusiastic despite the situation yes. around yourself. And, you know, once again, I'm kind of known for being like br- br- brutally honest. So some people might actually think that yeah. that is a part of it. I want you to try to kind of create a distinction between being compassionate, but not being so enthusiastic despite the situation that it comes off as unauthentic. Well, there's that, you know, I think we use now the term toxic positivity. Yeah. I've never understood that, but okay. You know, (laughs) where it's, it's, it's disingenuous, you know, and you, are you really in touch with what's going on inside? It is okay. Part of that self-compassion is, is also understanding that this hurts. This, you know, not finishing for a fifth time hurt, you know, and it sucked. Now be compassionate with that emotion. You know, that's okay to be, you know, it's okay to feel that way. And it's okay to, you know, feel, you know, the weight of, you know, the failure, but be compassionate with it. Don't beat yourself up on this. This is the next step is, okay, how do I get to that? Being kind to yourself, not beating yourself up over it. Now that toxic positivity is, it's not truthful. You know, you're lying to yourself. You say it doesn't hurt, right? You know, that it hurts. 
So and, I, I almost yeah. kind of view this through like the caveat of, as opposed to saying like, oh, it's okay, or some sort of amplified version of you're awesome or whatever, to it's okay you feel like that, right? Because you're being specific within exactly. the, b- b- you're being specific with recognizing that actual emotion and not being kind of complacent and as opposed to, or you're not being complacent and not analyzing it. Exactly. So you're not taking that emotion. I mean, if you just, oh yeah, everything was great. Everything's that was great. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm taking that emotion and I am trying to shove it up, shove it away from myself. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? It's like that beach ball, you know, at the pool, you push it down. It's going <laughs> to pop back up. And, and, and that's, you know, no matter how many times you say, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. Okay. You know, there, there's some pieces that might be helpful, but let's be real. This hurts. Okay. Once you're open to the emotion and able to sit, sit with it and be compassionate with it, that's okay to cry about it. It's okay to cry that you didn't, you didn't finish. That's okay. Be, being open to it is part of that process of compassion and acceptance. And then, all right, now how do we go on to the next step? You know, let's look also at the common humanity. Let's come back to the present where we are right now, what I can control. And uh, work with my coach to figure out, okay, what, what are the little things that I need to work on this next this next season and move forward? That's perfect. I, I appreciate that distinction but between those two because we see a lot of athletes and also a lot of coaches and practitioners out there that will immediately jump to the, it's okay, versus recognizing the emotion and putting that emotion into context and counseling around that and then moving forward. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's powerful when you're able to do that, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's and that gives you. I, I think that self compassion piece gives you the power to move forward. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, you're human, yeah. right? Yeah. You, know, this, you know, it feels uncomfortable. It, it hurts when we don't finish something, and it's normal too. You know, like I said, you know, evolutionarily, if we want to go there, you know, it's like that's a normal process to feel that. Okay, but the next step is you got to learn how, you know, what I need to do differently. Yep, 100%. Okay, so the next piece is diffusion from the stories. You got into it a little bit before we kind of rewound. So why don't you go over this piece? So, you know, diffusing from the stories that we have of ourselves, you know, do you have this story is that somehow you're telling yourself that you're a failure, you know, or I always suck at lead lead man. (laughs) You know, like Neil is just, you know, or the story... Here's the story I was telling myself, and it started right after COVID for whatever reason, is that you're getting older. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your VO2 max is going down. It's, <laughs> you're getting weaker. You know, this is the story Neil's telling himself. It's like, wait a second. Wait a second. That's a story. And a lot of times, sometimes those stories, you know, and I talked about this in a coach's meeting a couple of weeks ago, is that those stories come from... You know, us growing up, my family, uh, you know, what are you doing when you're, you, know, you don't run a hundred miles when you're 55. Notice when these stories are coming up, notice them, name them, you know, acknowledge them, you know, and we're going to start putting them over here. You know, these are the stories. How are these stories that you may have grown up with mm-hmm. Are pushing you around. Maybe they're the story you're creating right now. Let's, but let's create this next story and, you know, how we're going to do this differently over the next 
five or six years of my life or even, you know, I'm looking at this guy in his nineties who just did, you know, was a champion cycle cross. I'm like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> How could I keep doing that? That's the story I want to create. I want to pick on one part of it that you just mentioned that I think is really yeah. powerful. It's name them. name them. So not just kind of process it or whatever, but give it a, like the time I got beat up story, right? Or totally. the time that I fell off the swing story. I mean, you're, you're by, by what are you trying to accomplish by giving it or what is accomplished by giving the story a proper name, going through the exercise of saying, this is the, I failed my college biochemistry test story. This is, you know, this that is, happened you to know, me. That's why I'm picking that this one up. Is, this is the drill sergeant story. Yeah, this is the drill yeah, sergeant exactly. coming up. This is, I, I was a wimp story. <laughs> I was the slowest runner. What happens is you start you, by naming it, by even writing it down, drawing a picture of it. You could draw a picture of it. You could, you know, you could put it in bubbly letters. You, you know, and I'm not to make light of it. This is the thing that it, once you start bringing this stuff to awareness, and it's right there. You're starting to diffuse from it. It ha sometimes it can have less power over you, but you got to be aware of that. You you know if you're not aware of it, it's gonna be in the background pushing you around a little bit. Once you start naming it and noticing it and giving it a name, it gives it a little bit less power. Does that make does that make sense? A little bit. That? I mean, yeah, eyes, yeah, yeah. It's is it through like the compartmentalization of like almost like putting it in a box. Like I'm going to contain this story in this thing that I'm going to put a label on, and because of that whole construct, whenever it comes up, that that put like like mentally putting it in a box. To kind of disables, or we keep using the word diffuse is probably a better word, diffuses it from like creeping out into other areas. I, I would use another metaphor for it yeah. because I think I put it in a box that I'm trying to lock it yeah, in. Yeah. I want to diffuse from it. I want it to go off into the atmosphere because what's happening right now is I'm fused with the story. Mm. I am hooked on this story. And what I'm doing by bringing it to my awareness is I am, uh, you know, ideally, going, yeah, there's that story again. And we could look at it at different angles. How is it pushing me around? You have to have this other piece too. It's like, you know what? That's the story. Here's where we're going to go and, and what we're going to create tomorrow and, and focusing on, this is where I love talking about our values, our goals, our aspirations, what we're, what gives us meaning in life. You know what? That story is pushing me around. I'm going to go over here and focus on this. You know, this is where being present and you're opening up to this. You know, that's, and diffusing from it by naming it. If you don't, if you're not aware of it, pushing you around, you know, it's like I always giggle. I'm like running, you know, it's like, ah, there's that story pushing me around again. Well, <laughs> and like, everybody can let's I, focus. Every, yeah. Everybody can identify with those two or three key things in their life that has happened to them in the past that come into our psyche. When we're out there on these long runs and races, I mean, trust me, it has happened to everybody. Every time I do a really in-depth race debrief with an athlete, something like that comes up during this part of the race. I thought about this thing that happened 10 years ago. And huh. usually it's a conversation started to, is that happened before? So no, every race or 80% of the races or, some, or something like that where it like constantly comes up. 
But I've never thought about the technique or the aspect of actually giving that story a name to help this diffusion process, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Write it down. You know, write write it down. The more you're aware of it pushing you around, the more you're starting to become present and you're getting a 30,000 foot view of it. Yeah, Yeah, there it is. There it is moving around. Okay. It's pushing me around. I'm going to refocus. You're becoming more present and refocus on hey, what are the things I can control right now? Well, I don't have to let this story push me around. I'm going to go back and get my gels at Twin Lakes and go up this hill. You know? Uh, you know, it's like, yeah. It always comes back to getting more gels. It's getting more gels. <laughs> okay. More ice cakes, more gels. Okay, let's more move, tailwind. Let's move, on to the, let's move on to the last piece of this, which is certainly not the final piece, right? But the last piece in this, in this article, which really resonated with me because this is a kind of a coaching goal that I have for 2024 and beyond, or there's elements of that kind of fuse with this coaching goal that I've had going forward. And that's be open to assistance and build a team. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it, it kind of goes back to that growth mindset, but you know, in the, you know, the research with growth mindset, if you know, it's the kid who is able to go to the math teacher and go, Hey, can you help me with this problem? I, I loved when I heard my daughter do this and she did it so many times and she's really, you become an advocate for yourself. And what happens, you know, we've we've got this thing in our society, you know, and I don't know if it's just here in the US, it might be international, might be different parts of the world where I need to do this myself. You know, I've got this broken leg. I'm going yeah, to fix yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, it's that mental toughness stuff that I, you know, like, uh, you know, that's going to push you around a little bit. If you start opening up to that assistance and getting a coach, I got better when I first got a coach marathoning. I was like, oh yeah, this can work here. I'm now I'm not, now I'm like, you know, now my coach is holding me back. I'm like, what do you mean? Eight hours a week, man. You know, but this is... But that's helping me. That's, you know, going to your physical therapist, bringing a crew to your race of of select people, you know, finding those pacers that you know are going to work with you and that you are able to communicate with well, you know, but it's bringing your team with, creating your team. If you're not able to do that, you know, yeah, when you struggle, it's going to be a little bit harder. But if you open up to that team, it's it was so powerful to see you know when I got into Twin Lakes and see the group of coaches there it was you know they, they, there's a team you know they were just boom and so helpful and such a, a loving group of people you know you know to experience that and I'm not you know I'm not just trying to sell our coaches but I'm just saying that was a team you know the my my group of people that were with me that was a team you know and but you got to create that to have to help develop that growth mindset. To help grow, you know. The intentional catalyst piece is, I think, something that everybody can, can take home. Meaning, you know, it, it you're not just bringing on a pacer at the last minute to like help drag you, you know, up power line at the towards the end of the race or drag you around turquoise like at the end of the race. You're bringing bringing them in an, in a, in an intimate way, kind of into the entirety of the process, right? Because you're letting them know, hey. You know, this is how I train. This is where I was really good in training. This is where I was really bad. Here's where I need help from you. And here's how you can pick me up if I'm down and help catalyze, you know, this part of the performance or whatever. That that, that requires a lot of humility 
right? To say, I need help. I'm doing everything I can in this area and I still need help from you all, whoever you all is. And we started mentioning the professionals, but it can also be friends, family, training partners, and things like that. The humility of a little of letting part of that go can also be kind of liberating for athletes as well, because then they know that other people kind of have their back. Yeah. It's, would you do that for somebody else? Of course not. (laughs) You know, know, and this is the self-compassion piece. You know, it's part of that is, you know, this growth mindset piece. It is also bringing this compassion in. It's like, yeah, I'm going to take care of myself by having this team, you know, and I, I look, yeah, and communicating with the team. I mean, I look at my Leadville experience and I go, okay, eh, I, you know, and I even got the feedback. You didn't really communicate with us. And I just kind of came in with this assumption. Oh, I got this. You <laughs> you know, got I know this. what yeah, I'm doing, exactly. you know. And, and, you know, and there was this reality. It's like, no, I needed to really direct people, like who is going to be in the crew tent, who, you know, these are the gels that I need. You know, this is what we need to happen. And you're in charge, Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, if I step back a little bit, this is kind of moving from an athletic framework to more of a professional framework and and specifically yeah. my professional framework. One, th- this is what I mentioned earlier. This is one of the things that I'm doing new in 2024 is I'm building a better team around each athlete, essentially, and helping all of those different people kind of coordinate themselves as a, as a team. And it's because that it's so powerful. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a coach. My job is to get my athletes better, have them get the finish line, accomplish their goals and things like that. And one of the things that I'm realizing is that building this team around the athletes who are all better individual professionals than I am. I want to make that clear from the get-go. People like you, Neil, people like our mutual colleague, Justin Ross, who's who's part of this group, they all do elements of their specific, you know, whatever they're offering as counsel better than I can. They're better mental coaches than I am. They can analyze blood work better than I can. They can do strength training prescription better than I can. And I'm humble enough to recognize that and say in some, in certain cases, Hey, listen, athlete X, I want this strength training coach to take over your strength training programming. I'm going to get the heck out of the way and act as a coordinator between this person and me in order to make sure that the strength training is coordinated with the run training. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of power in that because all of those individual members of the team are essentially going to be better than the sum of their parts in helping this athlete do whatever that they want to do. Totally. And you know, looking at it as a therapist and a mental performance coach, if I get releases to talk to like a physical therapist or a doctor yeah. to go, Hey, if we have this team, we're going to be helping this athlete a lot more than just me trying to do this alone that's going to move that athlete forward oh 100% you know what like yeah. i'll just give a really simple example I, I know you do this but i actually have this experience where so another middle skills coach sports psychologist justin ross works a couple with my athletes he'll program not all of but a lot of their stuff in training peaks so specifically so i can see it and it also gives him framework when I see it in training peaks and I'm prescribing workouts and then I have a conversation with that athlete, I can then reinforce what Justin wanted that athlete to do. Totally. It is so immensely powerful. You, it's, it's almost hard to describe how impactful that reinforcement can actually be. And then you, multi- yeah, and then you multiply that across different people 
right? A physical therapist that talks to a coach or a strength training person that talks to a mental skills coach or, or whatever. There's all these different spider webs that actually happen. It's not easy to coordinate. You know, the more cooks you have in the kitchen, the harder it is to, you know, make the meal, so to speak. But when you do it right, it's extreme. It, it's, it's just extremely, it's just extremely impactful. And it's hard to put it. It's so hard to put into words why it actually is impactful. But I, we've seen it work like time and time again. Oh, we, we see it work in healthcare yeah. when the, the, everyone's working as a team. And, you know, there, there's different ways to do that. But, I, you know, I like, you know, I come from that social work background where it's, we got we got to do this. We got to bring A, B, C, and D in here to do that. I love that Justin's doing that too, and I'm I've actually started sketching out ways to figure out how to do that myself. So it's weird because it's not like it, that wasn't the intent of the delivery system, right? right? It's like practitioners have kind of co opted it into the delivery system because Training Peaks being the delivery system because it's the one that the athletes kind of interface with. And you know, I'm not sold that's the ultimate end all be all best solution. I'm just using that as an example of yep. when there is some at least very cursory coordination. And here the coordination is, it, let's be honest, it's very limited. It's me reading kind of the prescription or the feedback that Justin has had. Now. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're working we're, on motivation ex- now. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And that's not the same as the three of us getting on the phone and going through the entirety of the plan. But even when it's that simple, you're working on self-talk, you're working on this, you're working on that, it still becomes really re- like remarkably powerful. S- summarizing it, it, you know, and, and sometimes it's, as healthcare providers, it's that's all we have time for. But if, we, <laughs> <laughs> but if, you, but if you summarize it, you're giving, you're, you're communicating this information. It's like, now Coop knows, okay, this is what we're working on. I'm going to reinforce that. And that is and immensely powerful. If I learn from a PT or the PT learns from me that, hey, we're, you know, we're going to be working on this aspect, you know, this is where we're going with that. And, or I know, oh, now I know the prognosis here. The prognosis isn't as bad. You yeah. know, this is, that gives me more information. I'm going to do a whole podcast once I flush this thing out with the, like the people, like a kind of a selection of the people that I'm putting in this team to go to like peel the curtain back on. This is how we do it. This is where it works really well. This is where we kind of struggled, things like that. That's awesome. Just like with everything else I've done, I'm just going to peel the curtain back. Here's the model that we're using. I I think it's going to be awesome, but it it fits. Once again, we didn't coordinate on this in advance. It fits right in line with this. Even if you don't have all of those resources available to you, right? You don't have to be a high level athlete to bring in a team of friends, family members, things like that, that have impacted you, training partners and things like that. That can actually be extremely impactful. Huge. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. No, it's, I I, I love, you know, yeah, I I can go on about that. (laughs) Okay. So we've gone through it. And like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to link up the article and the show notes, but to, to wrap things up, Neil, I kind of want to like lean on, you know, your personal experience a little bit. What are you going to do next year? You've kind of gone through this process. You're an experienced endurance athlete. Like, where are you sitting with all of this? Ah, it's, uh, what am I going to do next year? I'm putting you on the spot is, with is, this, is but my, I kind of my I'm wife listening. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if she's, she tunes in or not. Uh, so I am um, signed up for Lead Challenge this year, and you know we are approaching it a little bit differently, and we're tackling. Uh, a little bit more, you know, as we know, as we age, we do need a little bit more VO2 max work. 
We're tackling that a little bit more power early on. I'm already noticing significant improvements from where I was a couple months ago, which is pretty cool. So there's some training adjustment. That's one part of it, right? You're taking the feedback and you're like, okay, this is the training adjustment I'm going to make. This is the training adjustment. You know, and and then I, I look seriously at my crew. I love the people that I worked with, but I'm like, okay. Here's the learning experience. You know, you've got to <laughs> communicate. And I have a buddy, hopefully, it now if he gets in a ledger, it's a different story, but <laughs> he's trying to get into the lottery. But if he doesn't, then he's going to be crewing me. And he's an extremely experienced athlete. And he's the one who got me into this initially. And mm. he was been excited. You never asked me. Mm. Well, you know, I'm sorry. You were always doing something. But he's going to be working with me. My wife is also has asked to work with me again. You know, if she's not busy, our daughter runs cross country. That might be a weekend for cross country. So, but, you know, I know he's there and I know I've got to communicate with that crew also. You know, again, the, going back to the training, there's a strength training component that, yep, I got to hit this. You know, this is serious. This is not something I got to put it on aside. And, you know, I think, you know, work, you know, maybe working on my own mental skills. Mm -hmm. I teach it, you know, and I practice it, but, you know, you know, I got to practice a little bit more here. And the other advantage I have is I've had changes in my work situation. So I have some, a different free time and then I could actually go and get to the trails a bit more and actually get on the technical sections on the mountain bike and work a little bit more. Maybe take that Friday off and go and and train up in Leadville. So there's these other components that are like, oh yeah. You know, and and this also acknowledging, this is the the compassion side is I also acknowledge is that last year I got a lot going on. (laughs) I'm a therapist, (laughs) a a mental performance coach, a, a coach for CTS. And then, you know, I got, I have a family and I'm doing my, you know, my own training for lead challenge, which requires a lot of time. Now, where do you find the hours in the day to do that? And as I look back, I'm like, how did I do that? But dude, so, you're a reflection yeah. of the athletes that you work with, man. Like all that, like not all, but the vast majority of the athletes that you work with, that's the blueprint. That's the blueprint. And, and that gives me a lot of, you know, able to go, okay, how do we structure this differently for you? You know, how do I, you know, okay, let's, but let's have the compassion. If you're not able to get that work going on, how do we, and I'm, I'm educating my athletes, how do we adapt this workout, you know, that yeah. we're doing? So you come into this and go, okay, I don't have time for this hour and a half, but how could I adapt this a little differently? And, you know, without, you know, a thousand texts or emails, you, you know, which I may not be able to respond to in that moment. And so what do we, how do we adapt and how do we grow? And that for me is a, a superpower too, for me as a coach and as me as an athlete is like, okay, I'm getting into this workout. What is the purpose of this workout? Mm. Why am I doing this? Okay. How could I get this and maybe kind of shorten this up or move things around here? Well, you know, if I need to do that. And that's, I like, I like that it's proving powerful. You know, people are like, oh, you mean I don't have to do four hours today, you know, on top of every, you know, mowing the lawn and taking care of the, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, we'll be able to move it to Sunday. You get it. You (laughs) You get it. You get it. Let's let's look at it. It it sounds like you're fighting like the personal battle, right? The personal battle of you finishing lead challenge on all fronts, right? You've got the training side. You you recognize there's some training things that you're doing, both from a structural standpoint, but also your life is freeing up. 
you're, you are working on your own mental skills. And I have a quick question. Is yeah. it the same in the mental skills and the therapy world where the people that are the practitioners are the worst at taking their own advice? Because that's the same in coaching. Where are you, and you know our coaches, we're the worst at taking our own advice. Is it the same in that world? <laughs> I am getting better at it. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, it is. I mean, you know, you have a lot of people coming into these, both these fields, mental performance or psychotherapy, because they had run into their own stuff. And yeah, you probably have a thousand people talking about mindfulness and have never practiced or don't practice mindfulness like they talk about it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, you got to practice these skills. Some of my coaches are the worst. That's yeah, another story. Okay. So, and then that's the second front, mental skills. And yeah. the third piece was crew, right? You're reinforcing the people that you're bringing onto the actual crew that's Absolutely. not only supporting you during the race, but also supporting you day to day, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you look at it too, also the coaching perspective and, you know, who I, I, you know, may be periphery from that crew is we've been working together for a year now. And it's like, oh, now he really kind of gets an idea where I'm at. And and this is what I'm finding out as a coach, having worked with athletes for almost two years. It's like, now that I, we've been working together, we've got this rapport, we got this relationship, we kind of know where we're going, you know, and that, is so powerful, you know, when you start working with someone for over, you know, three months, <laughs> you know, it's like, we're, you know, hey, we're coaching for this race. It's more than that. If you could work with someone for over a year, that's where you get a lot out of that. I, I think that's a really big thing in both coaching and crewing athletes for races is the consistency. And that only, it takes 12 months to really to, to really drill that in. In fact, I've, I mean, you've heard me tell this to our younger coaches all the time is you kind of make your, you kind of earn your keep after year two, three, and four. Not year one, you can kind of do anything as long as you don't screw it up and you're gonna, yeah. usually going to get an athlete better. But it's looking at year one, what worked and what didn't work. This is why training history is so important. And building off of that for years two, three, and four, that's the real skill. That's where real yeah. coaching skill kind of come, comes into play. And a similar thing is, is true with, with the crewing side of things where if you know so-and-so is going to be there and they're going to f- be able to figure it out. You know, it doesn't matter what's going on they're, they Just cause they know you. That's a really, that's a really powerful, that, that's a really powerful ergogenic aid as I described yes. it in our recent coaching conference. It's a really powerful ergogenic aid that athletes can actually put out on the race course is having the right people in their crew so that they can just essentially trust them to not only execute the plan that they have made, but also deviate from the plan whenever it's necessary. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's all of it comes together. I mean, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, I was thinking about Leadville a lot, but I think about what happens, you know, at that Winfield side where you don't have a crew, where you don't have a pacer anymore. And that is like, how do you, you got to be able to mentally prepare for your, you know, 50 miles in, I got 50 miles to go. How you got to have that. Okay. If I don't have crew here, I don't have that Okay, let's work on our minds to prepare for that moment so you can rally. I think that's one of, I mean, just speaking to Leadville specifically, and not to get too ingrained within Leadville, but there are learning lessons for for this outside of that race. Yeah. When they changed the Winfield aid station to just being an aid station versus one that crews can come out and one that pacers can come out to. And for the people that, the listeners out there that aren't familiar with the Leadville Trail 100, it's an out and back course. The three aid stations that are in question are 
Twin Lakes Outbound, which is about mile 40, the Winfield Turnaround Aid Station, which is mile 50, and then you come back to the Twin Lakes Aid Station again, which is about mi- about mile 60. I can't remember the exact mileages off the top of my head. 63.2. Yeah, whatever it is. But <laughs> my, my, my point with that is, is at one point, you could get crew and a pacer at Winfield, typical for most ultra marathons. Halfway point, pick up your crew or you pick up your pacer and then you come back over a hope pass. But when they changed it to Twin Lakes, which they did for very good reasons, I'm not, you know, d- dismissing the reasons that 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 they needed to actually change that aid station. It dramatically altered the the kind of the conditions of the race because now you have literally the hardest section of the race, which is about 20 miles. The longest section of the race paired with the section where you're not going to see your crew again. So you go up and over Hope Pass, which is the biggest climb. You turn around and then you go up and over Hope Pass again, which is the biggest climb again. And you come back and see your crew. And it's a big period of time that you don't see. And granted, there's a lot of people out on the course, but you don't see the people that are actually there to support you. And I think that dramatically altered kind of the dynamics of the race especially for the less experienced runners, which Leadville actually gets a lot of. And that's a hard thing to manage, to be out there for eight hours over a really big mountain pass in the middle of the race when you're already fatigued without a lot of comfort, without a lot of of people to like help and comfort you. You kind of, you have to be self-reliant, I guess is what I'm saying is way different than it was before. Self, self-reliant, you know, in, in not just that physical sense, but that mental sense yeah. of being able to, okay, these, you know, what's pushing me around right now? Let's, you know, let's focus on the things that I can control, which is, you know, my attitude. I could, I could use my self-talk strategies. I could get, I could work in becoming more present with where I'm at right now. Blech, you know, yeah, yeah. the, ro- the rocks yeah. and the altitude and the terrain are pushing you around, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> the rocks, altitude, everything, because that, well, that I- impacts your psychological state, your mental state. Yeah. It is the altitude, la- you know, lack yeah. of oxygen to your brain. That's gonna, you know, lack of food, you nausea. You're getting back to those survival skills. But, you know, if you're able to manage that and the mental skills, the mental piece of that's where that's going to help you tremendously. 100%. All right, Neil, we're going to let you go, man. This is fascinating. I'm going to leave links in the show notes to the article and also to your website. But is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Like any kind of like last nuggets of wisdom as they're navigating this this time frame right now? Start now practicing this stuff. Start now. You know, give yourself the compassion, you know. You know, if you just finish a race, it's okay to grieve it. If you know, the, you know, the, it's okay to grieve it. You know, give yourself the twenty-four hours, thirty-six. I'm not going to give you a, a timeline, you know, but grieve it. You know, put closure on it. Start refocusing on what you learned and, and, and putting that into action right now. Start working on your mental skills right now. I, I'll, I'll plug my course, which is starting uh, January twenty-fourth, and uh, we're going to just. We're all, I've introduced three individual coaching sessions for athletes on top of the webinar. Not, not necessarily, it's a webinar, it's a dialogue. You know, it's, you know, we're going to be working together as a team. And then I will work with people individually to kind of help prepare their mental skills for the race season. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'll make sure we point people in that right direction all in the show cool. notes. Neil, once again, yes, thanks sir. for coming out the pod, uh, coming on the podcast. I've always appreciated oh, no your worries. counsel and your perspective on these things. Oh, no worries. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I had fun. 
All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Neil for coming on the podcast today. As I mentioned during the intro, he has a wonderful way with words and explaining things. And I hope that a lot of the messages that we went through during the course of this podcast about how to manage failure resonates with you, irrespective of if you have experienced this in the past or you're currently kind of managing it and figuring out how to go forward. Links will be in the show notes to Neil's work as well as anything else that we uh, that we mentioned in the podcast. If you think that Neil or any one of our other CTS coaches would be the right fit for you, for you preparing for your goals in 2024, hit me up on social media. I would love to connect you with one of our coaches, or you can just go to our website, trainright.com and fill and fill out one of the coach consultation forms. That is actually one of the easiest ways to get started with one of our fantastic coaches. All right, folks, that is it for today. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.